Greetings and salutations. Welcome to Real Men Feel. I am your host, author, coach, and speaker, Andy Grant. Thank you for joining us for this episode as we explore wealth and abundance, otherwise known as money. If you are successful by every definition except that you are happy and fulfilled, I invite you to book a complimentary call with me. Go to theandygrant.com slash talk. We'll have still have space for one-on-one work. Again, that's theandygrant.com slash talk because you deserve more. My guest today is Rennie Gabriel. Rennie is an author, speaker, master financial coach, and founder of Wealth on Any Income. After two divorces and a business failure, Rennie was flat broke at age 50, and he started all over from scratch. He shares the background on all of society's messaging that being wealthy is bad and that rich people are evil. We explore the importance of attitude, authenticity, and purpose in creating wealth. Rennie will tell you two foundations of wealth you probably aren't doing, but easily can be. And you'll discover what Rennie does with 100% of his business's profits that made me reach out to him. Let's do it. Hello, Rennie. Welcome to Real Men Feel. Hi, Andy. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. I just discovered you uh, really just a few days ago. I was listening to a recording of a program that mentioned you were in the audience and they told a little bit about your story. And I was like, oh my God. And I stopped my training and went to your website and I was just like so intrigued and impressed, really just fascinated by your story and what you're up to. So let's start at the beginning. And can you share a bit a bit of your story, your journey to how you got to what you're up to today? Yeah. And it was a really rocky journey from the standpoint that um, I've always struggled with handling money. And in my journey, I discovered nine out of 10 people have learned nothing about handling money effectively or powerfully or at all. It's not taught in school. I mean, teachers can't teach what they've never learned. And unfortunately, parents can't teach what they don't know. And it really gets worse because CPAs in their coursework aren't taught how to do personal budgets or teach their clients that information. And the embarrassing thing is, like I said, Rocky, I was certified as a financial planner. And it also is not in my coursework how to do a personal budget. And this is the basic foundation of creating a prosperous life or creating wealth or even handling money adequately. So, like I said, I struggled really most of my life. And by the time I was 50 and I had two divorces and a business failure, I was flat broke. I'd refinanced my house to pay off my second wife, and I had a little equity there and maybe $3,000 to my name. So at least I had some idea of what to do. Oh, by the way, being a certified financial planner has nothing to do with creating wealth. It only has to do with protecting other people's. So I decided I needed to model what wealthy people do. And one of the first things is, a 5,000-year-old concept called pay yourself first. Ooh, ooh, I'm going to turn the tables on you, Andy. Now, have you heard of the concept pay yourself first? I have. Great. Can you explain it? 
when you get paid, I'm not sure the amount, but a portion goes to you. You set some amount aside for you uh-huh. before you pay Great. anybody other bills. Well, you are one out of the 10 people who at least who can at least explain it. Because out of every 10 people I ask, only one can explain it. Nine say something like, oh yeah, well, I'm the first person who gets a paycheck out of my business. Or yes, when I get paid, the first thing I do is buy groceries or make my mortgage payment or rent payment. That is not paying yourself first. That's giving the money to someone else first. So you're right. It's where the money comes in and you take a part of it and you keep it. And the whole point of that is you keep it for the rest of your life. And that's what you use to invest to create a passive income so you can choose to work instead of having to work. So I started it for the third time (laughs) at age 50. My book, by the way, is called Wealth on Any Income because I was only earning $5,000 a month. So I set aside $500 a month. And in three years, I saved a whopping $18,000. So here I am, 53 years of age with $18,000 to my name. Woo-hoo! But my wife had a realtor who said, hey, I found this little three-unit property. We should buy it. I can't buy it with $18,000. So my wife chipped in $18,000. The realtor chipped in $36,000. And we bought the building together. And in six years, when we sold that building, my $18,000 turned into $125,000. And I could see this is working. So I started borrowing money. It's a, this is a concept wealthy people use. They borrow money to create wealth. So I started borrowing money to make down payments with my wife and this realtor. And by the eighth year, we had 50, five zero units we owned and I managed. So I went from flat broke at age 50 to, you know, not having to work in eight years. But, you know, I mentioned struggles. There was a time in my life I had to collect soda bottles and cans to get the refund money to buy food for myself and my family. So, and I know what it's like to have no money. Especially as a man, how did that feel? I mean, we're, we're trained to be the provider and family first and certainly not pay yourself first. I don't think that's anything we're taught growing up, but. No, no. And, you know, you said as the provider. Yeah. Oh, I felt as a complete failure as the provider. For gosh sakes, I'm out collecting soda bottles and cans for refund money so my family can eat. I mean, what kind of provider is that? And I had all this financial background. I mean, you talk about embarrassment and feeling defeated. It's just, yeah, it was horrible. So is the biggest issue that people have with money is it's not that they were taught the wrong thing. It's truly that we're taught nothing. Yeah. The biggest part, well, there's two components. One of them is, yes, we've been taught nothing. And the second one is the attitude that surrounds us in terms of rich people are bad and evil. I mean, you look at fairy tales, you look at uh, books, you look at Hollywood movies, it all paints the poor person as the noble person. And the rich person is greedy and disgusting. So you've got these images and we're taught nothing. We get these images from society that having a lot of money is a bad thing. And the two things are no education and the wrong attitudes. And so the first thing I have to deal with when I'm working with people is the attitude. And the funniest thing is, you know, if I'll ask someone to describe someone who's wealthy or how did someone become wealthy, 
people will say things like, oh, well, you know, they scammed other people. They did it on the back of poor people. Uh, they must have done unscrupulous or illegal things. And it's sort of like, oh, and you're telling me you want to become wealthy. There's a little bit of a mismatch here. It's not going to work. And so the first thing we have to deal with are those messages that they grew up with or that they bought into from society. So do those messages and attitudes exist to kind of protect people from trying and failing? So it just, oh, it's just bad. Money's bad. So I can just stay poor and, and at least I'm happy. No, no. I actually think it has to do with banks and credit issuers are able to make much higher profits with an uneducated population. I think of it this way. If you knew that getting into credit card debt was bad and you were taught how to avoid it, do you think that would help profit credit issuers? No. And let's look at Hollywood movies. Let's say that you were going to make a massive movie like Titanic and you wanted to sell a lot of tickets. Would you make the poor people look good or the rich people look good? Yeah. Make the poor people look good. They're, they're, exactly. they're the heroes. Sure. There's more of them. <laughs> You're going to sell a lot more tickets that way. Interesting. I'd never, you know, I thought it was more in the family. I hadn't considered that really it is a societal message and it's in our storytelling and why. So that's really yeah. fascinating. In my TEDx talk, I talk about fairy tales, like, you know, what we're raised with as children. And you know the story of Jack and the Beanstalk, right? Yeah. Okay. So the moral of the story supposedly is, well, Jack was poor, so he was entitled to steal the golden eggs from the giant, steal the goose that laid the golden eggs, sing, steal the singing harp. And then when the giant chases him down the beanstalk, cut down the beanstalk and kill the giant. Well, maybe the moral of the story is it's okay to kill the rich if you're poor. I mean, what kind of, I mean, that's really the moral of the story. Yeah. Jack is poor. It's okay to kill rich people. Yeah. If you need it, go take it yeah. and kill whoever they are. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of frustrating. And, you know, so anyway, I, at this point, I try and lead by example. And 100% of the profits from the work I do training and coaching other people, I donate to charity because I don't need the money from the work I do. So, by the way, I got to talk about the charity. Yeah, it's you got to, you do. Because that's the part of your story that I heard, like, what, really? That's what made me have to go investigate you and find out what I was running up to. And could this possibly be true? And so, is it possibly true? <laughs> yes, it is true. The charity is called Shelter to Soldier. And you've got rescue dogs. I have rescue dogs. And Shelter to Soldier rescues dogs from shelters where they could be euthanized. And if they have the right size and personality traits, they are trained as service animals for soldiers who've come back with PTSD or traumatic brain injuries or other issues. And the soldiers who allow us the freedoms that we have in this country and put their lives on the line on a daily basis, when they come home damaged, the suicide rate is about 22 per day or almost one an hour. But not one who's gotten their service dog has committed suicide. That's fantastic. So this charity is saving two lives at a time. Yeah, I, I love that. I, you don't know this. I have a background of suicide attempts. That's oh. what prompted me to be in, become service to other people and have this podcast. And so I have the rescue dogs. I have the suicidal background. I've spoken to military audiences. And whenever I do workshops and meet guys that say they can't cry, they've never cried, I say, go to YouTube and search soldiers coming home to dogs. And like that will pull it out of you. Right. There's oh, yeah. no blocks. You're just watching someone else and our mirror neurons kick in and it that's just breaks the blocks down. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
I've been donating to Shelter to Soldier for about six years. They've gotten over $100,000 from me, but I still can't go to the website and watch any of the videos without crying. So I know exactly what you're talking about. It's just, I mean, dogs that have a purpose in life are euthanized by the thousands. And the people who allow us to do what we do don't get the kind of support from the VA that's needed. They'll certify them to get a service dog, but where are they going to come up with $25,000, $30,000 to buy one? This charity does it all from donations, and the soldier gets the dog for free, and the donations cover the dog's training and the food and the housing and training the dog with the vet and all of that. It's beautiful. What first gave you the idea to give all of your proceeds to charity and to select that one? Two things. One, I found that I wasn't enjoying the work and I was going to give it up, but people were saying it provided an impact to others. But I'm saying, yeah, but it's too much work. And then my wife happened to have been the chairperson of a division of uh, Berkshire Hathaway's Charitable Foundation. And someone brought Shelter to Soldier to her attention. And it was only like a year or two old at the time. So she knew I mean, we both donate all the time, and she knew I donated to both animal causes and veteran causes. She said, Rennie, this charity is doing both. I checked it out. I met the founder. I met the first person who'd gotten his service dog from them. And knowing the transformations that had taken place from near suicide or stuttering so badly he couldn't communicate with his own wife and children to being able to go out in public again, instead of being housebound, to being with his wife in a department store, to go to his children's soccer games, and to hear him talk about his journey and my sobbing hysterically, there was no way I could not donate to the charity. And I said, I'm going to use the business to do that. So I have two impacts. I have the impact on people who want to become philanthropic and learn how to handle money better. And I don't need it. So I'll donate the money to that charity. It's just beautiful. I mean, I know that wealthy people donate a lot. I've never come across someone that just gives all the proceeds of their business away like that. So I just really want to take a moment and, you know, thanks. <laughs> That's really <laughs> important for, again, serving the people that want to improve their financial situation, you're improving the lives of dogs, you're improving the lives of soldiers that are damaged. Yeah. And and I got to tell you, when I write checks to them, it's the best feeling I get. So if you had not done that, would you still be working? No, prob no probably not. No, I wouldn't. I mean, I don't have to, so I wouldn't. You obviously have found your purpose. You know, I know that your website, it talks about creating wealth with purpose. So how important is purpose when it comes to creating wealth? It's the driving force for me at this point in my life. For other people, it could be the driving force of survival. And I get that because I've been there too. But when you have accumulated enough money, you start to wonder, is that all there is? And then there, that isn't all there is. You know, another car or a bigger house is not, I mean, I have neighbors who have multi-million dollar houses around me and in conversations with them, they do not sound fulfilled. If that's all there is, the ones that sound fulfilled are also doing something to make an impact on the planet. They're also doing something that makes a difference to other people, not just to themselves. Right. Yeah. In, in my coaching work, I meet lots of guys that are successful by any sort of measure. They've done it all. They've done everything they're supposed to do, yet they feel empty. They feel like something's missing. And it, it, it's this purpose. It's this authenticity. It's 
you know, people aren't taught things about money, but we're also not taught to look for meaning. <laughs> you know, we're not taught that service feels good. Yeah, it's funny. One of my friends said it so succinctly so long ago. He said, well, there's a big difference between success and significance. And it was more important for him to lead a life of significance. And he was certainly very successful. So to you, how would you define success and significance? Well, success could be what people see on the outside. And the significance is what someone is doing from the inside in terms of the impact they're making on the planet, the impact they're making on other people, the life that they're leading in congruity with their value system or their beliefs. That's where the significance comes in. I totally agree with that. And you know, just before we started recording the show, we both discovered that both of our rescue dogs are <laughs> black and white dogs named Scout. So yeah, you're right. You know, if you doubt the power of synchronicity and that, you know, life is really on your side, I believe that life wants us to be healthy, wealthy and loved and everybody is capable of that. But yeah, if you deny purpose, if you deny meaning, if you're chasing someone else's meaning, right? If you're trying to just follow someone else's steps that don't feel good to you, it'll be a rougher journey. Yeah, that's the easiest thing. And do you want to have a rough journey or do you want to have a journey where you're feeling fulfilled? So beyond anything we've touched on so far, do wealthy people actually think differently in other ways? Oh, gosh, absolutely. I just finished a book called Attitudes of the Wealthy, where I wrote down about 32 attitudes that wealthy people operate by that ordinary people don't. And the funny part about it is if I operated using all 32, instead of being a multimillionaire, I'd probably be a billionaire. But as an example, one of them is that in terms of the attitudes, I asked you if you heard of the expression, pay yourself first. So an ordinary person will say something along the lines of, yes, I've heard of that. I know that that's not new to me. Maybe even I've tried that. And the wealthy person, instead of making statements, when they hear something familiar, ask questions like, hmm, how would that apply to me? Or where would I put the money? Or who could support me with that? Or when will I begin doing that? And that difference of asking questions of familiar information creates actions that produce results. And statements don't produce any results. They leave the person where they started. Yep. Anytime I teach live, I always say that the three most dangerous words in education are, I know that. Oh, ab <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, because so, that shuts us down. That means, oh, I've heard that before. All right, goodbye. Don't need to listen to anything else. Exactly. You know, instead I could say, how does that apply to me? Am I doing that? What should I be doing instead? Yeah, that's what, that makes all the difference. And they're the questions we learned in elementary school. If you're writing an article, the only one not to ask is why, because you can make up any answer you want to that. And it's not going to produce a result any more than making a statement would. You know, if I said, you know, why, why do I have clients who are jerks? Well, it's because I'm a jerk. Okay, great. So have I solved anything? No. Yeah, our brains exist to answer our questions. So yes. If we're asking disempowering negative questions, our brain will look for evidence to prove that that's right. Give us an answer. Absolutely right. No question about it. When you ask the empowering questions, your brain searches for the answers to those. And I really liked hearing you said there were 32 attitudes of the wealthy. Yes. 
That, that's what I came up with so far, yes. And you became wealthy without living all 32. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I, I literally became wealthy probably operating on three of them. I mean, one of them is a lot of people think they need to do things by themselves, and wealthy people recognize it's a team effort to create wealth. It is not a solo sport. Like I mentioned, when I was starting over at age 50, I didn't create it by myself. I had my wife and I had a realtor. It was the three of us that were buying properties together and he would find them and we would all finance them and I would manage them. It was a team effort. And that going against our lack of education about money, it also goes against one of the foundations of what society says is true for masculinity. Yeah. Right? You yeah. do it alone. You do it. Everything. Oh, yeah. oh, I don't yeah. need pull yourself by the bootstraps and all that sort macho, of garbage. Macho man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not wealthy, wealthy man, right? <laughs> no, I was going to get sidetracked onto something else uh, when you were talking about that in terms of what society says. Yeah, do it on your own. And oh, I forgot to say that I failed high school math. And I thought, you know, math is not my thing. Well, guess what? Financial concepts, while they use numbers, it's not about math. It's not about angles. It's not about calculus. It's not about geometry. That has nothing to do with creating wealth. So then what is it about? If I'm mistaken, it's about, it's not about, well, we know it's about attitude more than math. It's about addition and subtraction and how to find out where your money's going and asking yourself if you're getting the level of pleasure based on where you're spending your money. And what I learned personally was it didn't matter how much money I made, I could outspend any of it or all of it or more of it. And that if I focus on the expenses first, the income grows better. I get more income when I've handled the expenses first. And that's just addition and subtraction. Spending less than you make is a nice expression, but how you do it is not taught to anybody. And it wasn't taught to me either. I dug and I dug and I dug until I found the answers. And now that's what I teach people. Awesome. Talking about masculinity and being a provider earlier, do you find that men and women have different issues when it comes to money? Yeah, I would say more women have a fear of being a bag lady and a fear of what happens if their husband doesn't provide for them. And so when I'm working with women, one of the things that I really focus on is the requirement to handle money independently and be self-sufficient. Even if they're a housewife, there are things to do to be self-sufficient. But most of the women I work with are already earning an income, but they still have this fear of being a bag lady. Do you have any advice for people that that are spending more than they take in, like eat their living tip to check and the, the check doesn't, you know, there's more weak than check. Yeah, the reality is that cycle will continue. You make more money, you will spend more money and you will be in a worse situation than you were to start with. I, at least that was my experience. I, When I was teaching school, I was short $100 a month. I doubled my income and then I was short $200 a month. When I passed 100,000 a year, I was short 2,000 a month. And I, <laughs> I was at least smart enough to recognize this wasn't working. And literally where I found some of the answers was a program called Debtors Anonymous. And it had two things going for it. One of them is the team approach. You were not in it by yourself. 
And the second thing was the educational component of how do you actually figure out what you're spending and measure it against what you're earning and take into consideration the stuff that doesn't show up every month. Like people figure, you know, I didn't buy any clothing this month. Well, yeah, but if you spend $1,200 during the year, that's the same as $100 a month. Factor it in. So it's really basic budgeting is the essence of figuring out where you are and where you want to go. But people aren't taught basic budgeting. Right. Yeah, I, know, I can totally agree. <laughs> but, but that is what it is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these foundations that we're talking about, basic budgeting, pay yourself first, they aren't taught. So people don't know to what to do. And therefore, they get into credit card debt that they can't pay off or they're living beyond their means. We're talking about millions of people in this situation. So instead of focusing on what's keeping people stuck, let's flip it a bit. And what are some habits and practices that the wealthy do that anybody else could start doing? Well, the first one is pay yourself first. I mean, I don't care how much is coming in. If you set aside something, anything, it's the same as, okay, 10% is a nice amount to set aside. But if it's 1% or $10, that's still good because what you're doing is you're treating yourself like you deserve to own some of the money you're earning. And, you know, when I hear people say, oh, I I won't be able to cover all my bills if I do that, you're not covering them all now. So at least you'll have something set aside that's yours. You know, treat yourself like you deserve to own some of it. So that's one of the, the first habits is pay yourself first. I mean, the concept's 5,000 years old. You and I will be dust and that concept still works. Yeah. So since it works, do you tell people this and like, oh, they just start doing it? They're like, there must be something else in the way of hearing this. And if it's been around for thousands of years, like why hasn't it spread? Because people's belief systems are in the way that stinking thinking. It's the idea that the phone company bill has to be paid before I get paid. And the credit card company deserves my money more than I do. It's that kind of thinking. Yeah. So we've been, we've all been, as a society, as a people, been well-trained to be subservient to people we owe as opposed to ourselves. That's right. We've been conditioned to believe that. And then you've got Madison Avenue telling you that you're only a good person if you buy this toothpaste or that deodorant or you're driving this car or drinking this beer. And it's hogwash. You're not a better person because you got a better car. You're a better person because of who you served. Yeah, a lot of people think that that money turns them into something else, like the whole, you know, rich, oh. the rich are the evil and the enemy. So did you find that a lot? Like, well, I don't want to get rich. It'll turn me into something. And People who become social workers or therapists think that, you know, it's bad to get a lot of money for their services. Warren Buffett has the best statement I've I've ever heard. And he says, Money just brings out the basic traits in people. And I've met jerks who had a lot of money and all they were were jerks with a billion dollars. And so, you know, the opposite is true. A good person who becomes wealthy is still a good person. Money doesn't corrupt them. They were corrupt to begin with. It's just, yeah, people can use money as the excuse or it's something they can point to that's different, but... It's a magnifying glass. It exemplifies what you already might be. Absolutely correct. It amplifies who you are. And, you know, Mother Teresa thinks, okay, well, yeah, she had a vow of poverty. That lady knew how to raise millions of dollars. Okay, so she had a vow of poverty. Believe me, she wasn't short on money. She was wealthy, just didn't keep any of it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. She had a different purpose. 
So what's a simple way that beyond paying yourself first, is there another simple way that someone can start their journey towards wealth? Yeah, I'm guessing there are probably plenty of places online. They can write to me if they don't have a budgeting form, income and expense form to use because they don't know how to structure one. I didn't know how to structure one as a certified financial planner. It's just absurd. You know, I've helped CPAs through bankruptcy. You know, just because they can do debits and credits and fill out tax forms doesn't mean that they know how to handle money either. You know, I've met doctors who've gone bankrupt. They don't teach how to operate a business in medical school. So just because someone's making money does not mean they know the foundations. You flunked math in high school. What had you become a financial planner to begin with then? It's a funny story. I ended up becoming an insurance agent and starting to and learned the insurance tables and mortality tables and future forecasting and actuarial concepts all and it all only dealt with money the whole purpose of the math was to create money concepts and it's sort of like oh i can handle this and and so anyway it it really had to do with recognizing handling money and understanding math are two different worlds it's funny, just another synchronicity besides our dogs. There was a point when when I was unemployed, my early 30s, didn't know what to do. And I looked at, maybe I should become a financial planner. And I was broke. I'm like, oh, they offered free training and you, you know all these reasons to get you in the door and probably you know continue the struggle. <laughs> but yeah. other people think they're doing something about it. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, literally, I passed $100,000 in earnings as a financial planner. Like I said, I was spending 2000 a month more than I was making. It just, that, that wasn't the answer. So all your programs, 100% go to charity. So tell me about your main program. What's the best way that people can increase their wealth using your books or your training? Tell me about that. Yeah, well, the book is obviously the least expensive. And if they buy it from Amazon, nothing gets to the charity. If they buy it from my website, 100% goes to the charity. And the website's Wealth on Any Income. And because I'm relatively simple, the title of the book is Wealth on Any Income. <laughs> And I have my own podcast. It's called Wealth on Any Income. And I have a program. You want to know what the title is? Can I guess? guess. (laughs) Wealth on Any Income? Yeah, you got it. Awesome. (laughs) So how does that program work? How long is it? Is it it one-on-one with you? Is it videos? Yeah, there are videos. There's uh, workbooks. There's sheets. There's team members who support. There's monthly group coaching calls. There's unlimited email support. I don't work one-on-one with people except for a handful. But my team members who've gone through the program are fabulous at supporting the participants. And yeah, they can find out all about that on the website. And also anyone who goes to the website, listens to my TEDx talk, if they go to wealthonanyincome.com forward slash TEDx, they can hear the TEDx talk and get a nine-step roadmap to what I call complete financial choice, not retirement, not financial freedom, the point in life where you can choose to work or choose not to work or choose to travel or choose to donate your time to charity, whatever you want to choose. And I send out a weekly email with various financial ideas, tips, techniques, inspiration, and things like that. Awesome. Awesome. So we'll have links to everything being talked about at realmenfield.org in the, the blog post and in the show notes here. Definitely recommend everyone check these things out. 
you know, for years, I work as an energy coach for the last 10 years and everything is energy and money is just another form of energy. But the best line I've heard about money recently is that money is just a symbol of freedom. Mm. Mm-hmm. Creating wealth gives you more choices. It gives you more freedom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah doesn't turn you into a villain, doesn't turn you into an asshole. It just, <laughs> it, it, you're, you, you're free to be that if that's what you are, I guess. But Oh, yeah. If, you're, if that's how you started out, you'll be that. But like you said, it amplifies whoever you are. So someone who feels they're a good person and becomes wealthy still is a good person. I mean, the people that I know just want to make a bigger impact on the planet. I don't work with people who just need a bigger house or a Lamborghini alongside their Porsche. Right. There's got to be a purpose behind it, a a service behind it. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. Ooh, I wish you did create some sort of high school curriculum that was out and we get it out to people sooner. I did. I did promote a program for high school students. I got it into 21 high school districts. And then when I went back to measure the results a year later, I found out none of the teachers presented the material. Any idea why? Because they were confronted by it. No one taught them how to handle money, so they weren't about to teach their students how to handle money. So I ended up having to teach the teachers. And then did the program get going again? Then the program started to go to work because now the teachers felt competent. Right. And so at first they read the material and they they were just too triggered to ever dare open their mouths about those subjects. couldn't, Couldn't even open up the manual. So has that program continued? Is that still spreading? Good question. It was in the 1990s. And I've moved on. And so I, and I didn't keep track after that. I don't have an answer. But, you know, when I survey audiences, 20 people, 200, 2,000 people, I will ask, did you learn in high school or did you learn from your parents? One out of 10. 40 years after I started asking that question, it's still one out of 10. So with your freedom lifestyle, with only working because you choose to contribute, what are you looking forward to? I was just talking about this this morning. I'm the number five donor to Shelter to Soldier. And my goal is to be the number one donor. That's I mean, it's not for the recognition. It's just, I want to donate more than anybody else. Yeah, just to have a goal. Yeah. Give some motivation. Exactly. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Well, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to check out the program. I invite everyone to do that. Again, you're, you know, whatever hang up you have around wealth, let this program, let this prove an example of Rennie and, and how he's using the income that, that you generate buying the program. You improve your situation, you improve the situation of dogs and of returning vets. It's a win, win, win. Exactly. All the way around. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Rennie, I really appreciate making time and making this happen so quickly. As I said, I, I just discovered you days ago. I love when the universe just gets us connected and speeds us through good things so quickly. My pleasure, Andy. It's just, it's a joy to be with you on the show, and I really appreciate your invitation. Beautiful, beautiful. Thanks everyone for listening. Wherever you're listening to Real Men Feel, please subscribe, give a follow, a share, a like, a comment. Tell someone else about this show if you think it'll help them. And we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out at realmenfeel at gmail.com. And talking about money, you can support the show. In the show links, in the show notes, there's a link that you can give as little as 99 cents a month to make sure that more men and women are discovering that real men feel. Until next time, be good to yourself and pay yourself first. Yourself first.